This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Adele Parks, welcome to Better Reading. Hello, wonderful to be here. Uh, I can't believe you're just off a flight. What, yesterday? Yeah, because I'm quite smiley, aren't I? You are, and fresh. I'm fresh. I think it's the adrenaline. I'm so excited to be here. First um, ever tour in Australia. So... Yeah, I think it's partly that. I did I did also sleep the first leg, the, all the way to Singapore. I slept most of it. Yeah. And when I arrived here, I went to a yoga class, which is going to make me sound so much cooler and trendier and yogi than I am. But we did actually think, you know, I've got to be on point, try try anything. And somebody said, go and stretch. Yeah, it is. It really works. I always find a good swim does it yeah. for me. Tell me, have you been here before? Yes, I have. So um, I have a niece who lives in Perth. Oh, wow. So she's been there six years. So um, I came first to Sydney 20 years ago and then to Sydney again two years ago and I've been to Perth a couple of times as well. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Well, uh, and you've missed all the bad weather. You've missed... I know, it's been absolutely horrendous few months. It's been terrible. Mm. And then we've had deluge, um, you know, four or five days of rain and today is beautiful. So you've brought a little bit of sunshine into our world. I hope so. (laughs) Adele Parks was born and raised in Teesside, England. She studied English language and literature at Leicester University and has received an honorary doctorate of a letter from Teesside University. She has worked in advertising and as a management consultant, but always wanted to be a writer. Adele's first novel was published in 2010, and since then, Adele has published 19 novels. Wow. Yeah, I think there's a little typo there. 2000. 2000. So it's one a year. Wow. So otherwise, if I'd done 19 in 10 years, you really would have been impressed. (laughs) So I've now actually made myself sound less impressive. But it's basically from 2000, I've done one a year. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you. All of which have become bestsellers. Her books have also been translated into 26 languages. In her books, Adele is known for examining the issues of lives people lead with her trademark of upfront, tell it as it is style. Her last book was Lies, 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 and coming out later this year in May is her next novel, Just My Luck, which is a gripping take on friendship, money, betrayal, and good luck gone bad. Adele is an ambassador for the National Literacy Trust and the Reading Agency's Six Book Challenge, alongside being a judge for the Costa Book Award and the British Book Awards. She has previously lived in Italy, Botswana and London and now calls Guildford, Surrey, her home, along with her husband, teenage son and cat. <laughs> What's your cat's name? Lila. Lila. Um, it's, a, Little it's, moggy. A, it's a big career. Tell me what, did you study at university? You so studied... I did English language and yes. English literature. And um, just to give you some context, it's yeah. so funny in my um, bio saying I'm from Teesside because Teesside is the northeast of England. Um, used to thrive in like the 1900s 
but but I had a really rough time during my childhood. It was all about shipbuilding and not far from the coal industry and everything closed down. It was a very, very depressed area. Mm. And even now it is known as an incredibly poor area. In fact, we mentioned I'm an ambassador for the National Literacy Trust and particularly in the Teesside region because our literacy levels are the second lowest of any region in the UK. So it hasn't recovered. It hasn't recovered. It's a really tricky place. And um, so coming from there, I, I don't think anybody really expected me to be a writer, let alone write 20 best-selling novels. There wasn't ever that sort of crowd I'd never met until I got published. I'd never met anybody in publishing or an author in my life. Um, but what I did have is amazing libraries, lots of re- very vibrant passion community. passion for reading. Passion for reading and parents that supported reading and very little TV, I guess, yeah. is the other thing. Um, and so I grew up always wanting to write. And my mom used to work, and no one ever knows what class we were because this sounds hilarious. My dad would play golf at the weekends, and my mom would pack tea bags in a factory. Go figure. I mean, it's hilarious. Yeah. My dad worked really, really hard, but that was his hobby at the weekends. And my mom liked to work around the kids. Yeah. So that's how it worked. So we would go to my grandparents. My sister's one of those really cute older sisters that was really well behaved and very pretty and a little bit annoying. And um, I was the cheeky, um, well, I suppose now we'd say hyperactive child. Mm. And my granddad twigged that if he sat me down with a pen and paper and told me to write a book, I would be quiet the whole weekend. And he'd pay me 10 pence at the end of the weekend. <laughs> That's fantastic. So, you know, I knew there so was money in it. So you were a published author from back then. I was published then. from five-year-olds. I was <laughs> sorted. Tell me who some of your influences um, were at the time in terms of reading. Well, certainly as a very small child, it was very much sort of Ina Blyton. Not her, not the Secret Seven, um, which my sister loved actually, but the idea of the magic wish, uh, the, the magic faraway tree, and the wishing chair, mm. I just thought it was because we weren't very well off. I thought it was amazing that you could just sit in this chair, or you could climb up this tree, and you could be somewhere else. Mm. And I think that's what books still give me, and I think they give a lot of people. And it's uh, it's now proven it's really good for your mental health to read because we all need to be taken out of ourselves at some mm. point. So I think very very little it was people like Ina Blyton. And then as I moved on, we did have lots of books in our home. And when I say that, people always assume I mean like, you know, Dickens or something. I mean Jilly Cooper yeah. or Jackie Collins. We had books that my mum, again, clearly just read, had a bit of a giggle to. Again, probably took herself out of her quite hard life, actually. Um, and we, I remember thinking that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to write to entertain. Yeah. Do you know, I've been thinking about that in terms of uh, the, the mental health and the benefits that reading has to our well-being. And you often see um, uh, in articles and research saying that uh, reading gives you empathy. Absolutely. Um, and that has been, I've always tried to translate that, like, you know, what does that mean? Um, I think it means because... We all live one life. But if you read, you live hundreds of lives. I think it means that. But do you know what I was thinking the other day? Do you know what it also means? I think very often where I can know a person, I can know my best friend, I can know my, you know, family really well, but people aren't as honest (laughs) as fiction writers. Oh, that's interesting. So that's the, like, just knowing deeply how other people feel. Yes, And I suppose fiction writing allows us to strip away the veneer that we all have to keep to just function. You 
you know, if somebody says, how's your day been? You invariably say, great, thanks. Yeah. Where in a book, you can actually explain how that day has been. And yes. therefore we understand, oh, the great thanks might not mean absolutely great thanks. Absolutely. Uh, I was at a HarperCollins event last night mm-hmm. and Trent Dalton was there. And I don't know if you've heard of him. Yes, oh, I have. Oh, you have? Yeah. yeah. Uh, great success mm-hmm. um, with Boy Swallows Universe. So it's only been out, I don't know, a year and a bit now and it's still on the bestseller list and it's sold squillions of copies. But before going, because this was the launch of his second book, yes. which is out in June, I think, um, and I was thinking, I was catching the bus to the event and I was thinking about what has made this book so successful. Mm-hmm. And I think your writing's quite similar as well. And I think what happened with Trent is he was brutally honest. I am brutally honest, yeah. And you're brutally honest. Yeah. I. People are looking for some kind of truth. They are, especially nowadays. I think they we're, are. Because I think oddly, because of social media and Instagram and all of that, mm. which is fun, but very untruthful in many ways because you only so put your best, many ways. only put your best moments. Yeah, of course. Um, You're not going to put your darkest moments no, on Instagram, and you're going to have, you know, yeah. your face looks great, and yeah. some people might use even filters or whatever it might be. So we're moving further and further away from the truth on a very much, not even a yeah. daily but hourly basis because some people check their phones all the time for this yeah. Instagram or uh, Facebook or whatever it might be. So maybe very truthful writing. Is, is particularly resonating because it's bringing us back to the core of who we are. And I do expose people. I do expose myself as well, I think. I think um, I, I think actually being a fiction writer is almost more exposing than being a non-fiction writer. Oh, I agree totally. Yeah. yeah. And I think too with fiction writers, they are exposing themselves in almost every character. Because whether you like it or not, I mean, people often say that's not me and I agree with that. You know, you're not writing yourself all the time because that would be boring. But you are writing bits of yourself I all the time. I absolutely agree. Totally. Yeah. There's a little bit of me. Oh, of course Even there if it's is. the bit that I think I would never do that. Yeah. I'd like to. Yeah. Or, gosh, or I wish I could say that. Or, I, yeah. yeah. Or somebody did it to me and I've seen it and I've experienced that or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So you had a big full career before you came to writing. I so did. Tell, talk to me about that transition and yeah. how writing happened. So I worked in um, advertising. So first of all, I gra- graduated from Leicester. So sort of a university in the middle of England. And then I had a year in Italy teaching, TEFL teaching, which is great fun. And, my, and did you learn Italian at the same I did. time? Yeah. I did actually at the time because yeah. that was sort of part of it. I didn't have a language and I thought that would be really useful. Yeah. Um, and then my dad, because he's very practical and proper northerner, sort of said, right, stop messing around, go and get a job. You did get, you know, you've got a degree. And I was the first person in our family to have a degree. So he oh, really wow. wanted to see this happen you know what are you gonna do with it yeah um so then I went into advertising which can I tell you he was not impressed with he did not think that was a real use of a degree because as far as he could work out I sort of sat around and talked about colors and type uh you know fonts and And shout lines and and shout lines and all that kind of thing um however I very much did enjoy my job in advertising and it did take me I went to Botswana I helped set up an advertising agency in Botswana called Horizon which was a such and such affiliate um and in my mid-20s and then I came back and I remember thinking how long were you there uh 20 months yeah yeah and I remember and it was great Mm. I have so many stories about Botswana that could be a whole nother and a whole nother day yeah um but I remember coming back and thinking you know what my dad might have a point because by this time I was getting into my late 20s and I looked around myself and in full-on advertising there were no women 
after sort of 35. Mm. They couldn't balance that life with families. Because um, it's such long hours. It's long hours. It's pretty sexist. Or yeah. It was back then. Yeah. Um, it's it, it's brutal. You have to yeah. kind of be one of the lads to, yep. to, to get through. And I remember thinking, maybe this is my moment then. I've come back from Botswana. I've got this great thing on my CV that I've shown I can travel and I'm, you know, a bit more adventurous. You're resilient. Yeah, and resilient. And so I joined a big management consultancy company called Accenture and looked after their advertising. Um, so I sort of, I went client side. And that honestly was one of the best moves I've ever made in my life. Uh, not only because my dad finally thought my degree was being useful because he understands what management consultants do as opposed to people who choose between two almost identical yellows um, for a tight bond. <laughs> but um, the thing was that was amazing about it is it taught me such self-discipline. Mm. Everything about being a management consultant is how efficient are you? How, um, how are you going to tackle this project? So it's all about project management. And again, a couple of years went by. It's beginning and end, isn't it? It is. And a timeline and let's get yeah. on with this. And a couple of years went by. I was doing really well. I had quite nice things like um, a little gold card on my, travel, on my uh, airline because I traveled so much. And by that point, I looked after Europe, Middle East, Africa and India. I oversaw the advertising, oversaw the advertising for all those guys. So that was amazing. And then, and this is the sad bit, but everybody, we've talked about honesty and this is how it works. Um... I have come from a big family, um, big sort of Irish Catholic family in the northeast of England. And we just had a period where a lot of people died. Um, some you could say maybe you expected because they yeah. were elderly. Yeah. But some were younger than I sad. was. And it's still sad. Yeah. And um, some were younger than I was. Um, we had a suicide in the family. Oh, no, we, had, um, we had a... Uh, and then it wasn't just family I had a, my PA she was only 21 she had a cancer uh. and somebody I'd worked with in Botswana got murdered so I suddenly and this was all in a year and a half yeah it's so life-changing it was life-changing and I wasn't myself because I'm quite buoyant and quite chirpy yeah. but I was not myself so I searched out a grief counsellor and I remember going to this grief counsellor and saying to her I am never going to be happy again yeah. I just don't trust the world I'm just waiting, to be honest, I'm waiting for the worst. Everyone, I don't want to love anyone because yeah. I'm going to lose them. Yeah. And it's it's too much of a risk. I can't feel this bad again. And she said, you know what, Adele, I don't believe you. And she said, I've seen you over a matter of weeks. She said, you always still come in with a bit of a story and a bit of a joke. You always ask after me. She said, I don't believe you're going to be sad for the rest of your life. Let's just find something that makes you happier on a day-to-day -day basis. Honestly, that's such great advice for everyone. And I've given this advice many, many times since. Sometimes we can't fix the big picture, but we can fix today. Mm -hmm. You can just get yourself through that one day and say, okay, how can I make myself happier? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So then I kind of confessed to her. I said, oh, you know, I love reading. Read all the time. And I've been scribbling all my life. And she said, what do you mean scribbling? I said, well, I've got this notebook and I sort of shuffled it out my bag because I always carry a notebook. And I said, oh, I have this notebook and it's full of ideas. And one day I used to think, I mean, not now because I'm an adult now, but when I was a child, I used to think I'd want to be a writer. And she said, oh, you should scribble more often, Adele. Mm. And the bit I missed out about my life, but it's very much a me thing. I'm quite swatty. Um, and quite, What does that mean? Oh, it means um, very... I try really hard at school. Yeah. I try okay. really hard. So um, I always, I don't think I am anywhere near a, a naturally clever person. So I have to work quite hard at it. So I'm always over reading. I'm always reading around the subject. I sort of overcompensate because I'm, I want to know and I want yes. to get better. Yes. And certainly in my environment from Teesside, that was essential if I was going to get to university. I had to have a lot of self-teaching and things. Yeah. So I didn't hear, you know, oh, go away and do a little bit more scribbling. I heard, go away and finally write that book. In fact, make it a bestseller. Because um, I'm also, <laughs> that's part of the sweatiness yeah. is the ambition. Um, so I was 29 at that point, And I wrote like crazy for a year, still in my job. And I just took it seriously. I project managed the way I would in my job. I thought I can carve out 12 hours a week. I did two to three hours, three times a week during the week. Because there is a discipline to a writing. total discipline. I had any hours I didn't um, hadn't made up to my 12, I did at the weekends. These are the things I lost in my life. Yeah. I lost ironing. Hurrah! Yeah. Who cares? Who cares? <laughs> no one cares if my clothes are creased. We often talk about that in the office because, no, well, no I iron, but nobody else does. So um, I stopped ironing. <laughs> yeah. um, I stopped watching soap operas, which I did quite miss, let's be yeah. honest. But I found I that's how I found my hours. Yeah. And I did And turn, if it was today, it would probably, you know, don't look at social don't look media. Don't look at social media. Yeah. And it was just a, fa- a fact that I closed things down. I accepted less random invites, that sort of thing, and wrote like crazy. And then on the eve of my 30th birthday, I took this book that was then finished and delivered it to a chap called Johnny Galler, who's at that point was a very young agent at Curtis Brown. He's now the CEO of Curtis Brown. But at and that how point, did you know him? I'd, I'd read, I just researched ah, okay. and I'd read about him. So it was him, cold calling. Cold calling. I'd read about him in a, a book called The Writers and Artists Handbook, yes. a big fat book. Yeah. And I'd read about him. And in those days, there wasn't even as much information on the internet. So then I'd seen a paper article about him promoting his other authors that he already had. And I thought, you seem great. You seem sort of on it in understanding of pr- promoting your, your your people and being a team member. And I just took it to him. And I left it there on the reception, complete cold call on the, the Friday afternoon, and then got a train up to Teesside to go and celebrate my 30th with my family. And then when I came back on the train on the Sunday night, flashing on my answering machine, which is all dating me, all this yeah. is ancient technology, <laughs> gang. Um, but yeah, flashing on my answering machine was a message from Johnny saying, I, I love it. Let's talk. Come in on Monday. Wow. And it was literally wow. life-changing. And whatever anybody believes, at that moment, I did think there are angels. All those people I've lost are actually looking out for me, you know. Yeah. Um, and I, I was like a 
I love sick teenager. I just kept listening to his message yeah, over, over and over again going, is this real? And my flatmate, I was like, he did say on Monday, I'm going in. He wants to meet me. I have to ring him Monday. We're going to go in. And yeah, and then he took it actually to six publishers and they all six accepted the manuscript. Wow, congratulations. So it was a proper dream come true. Yeah. I do and think you it was, know, sorry. It, it is, oh, sorry to interrupt, but you know, it is a proper dream come true and it happens to a lot of people and 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 not but also, too, for that then to become a bestseller yeah. means that the story was right. It was well. a very rude story. Yeah. It was a very... So my first book is called Playing Away. It's not about football. Yeah. It's very different to the type of genre I write now. But it had, what it had in common with how I write now is still very people-based and very honest. So it was about a woman and she'd been married a year and she has an affair. And it's... It's brutal. She thinks she's madly in love and then she realises she's literally one of a number and she's yeah. she's a very small part of her lover's life and yet a huge part of her husband's life. And it's about understanding what you're doing to people and, and the consequences thereof. And what thereof, love really is. What love really is. And I had written that with quite a commercial hat on because it was hot on the heels of the Bridget Jones diaries from yes. Helen Fielding and all that kind of Tilly Trotter and... Jane Green's books and all those books about single young women looking for husbands, which was very much a genre at the time. And I remember thinking, okay, now all the women that have read those books are likely to be married now and likely to be partnered, maybe even having children. What What's their next passion? What are their dilemmas? Some of them will be thinking, did I pick the right man? Yeah. Some of them will be getting itchy feet because it's not perhaps as glamorous being married as it is being out in the town. So I purposely investigated that element of love and, and the man you, you've chosen. Wow. Mm. Wow. What a story. Thank you. It, I love telling it, actually, because it, it always is. brings it's it a, back to me thinking, yeah, it's a you lucky story. woman. Yeah. And also d- tapping in on what you think people are feeling at the moment. I think that's really important. Yeah. And also because I, I mentioned I was wrapped up in my own personal grief, I actually wrote to take myself out of that. So although... The character Connie does feel grief. She feels grief for this boy she has an affair with and then loses. She feels grief for her marriage and because that is put in jeopardy. But she wasn't dealing with the grief I was dealing with. So to your point about putting a bit of yourself but not writing about yourself, I think it was very cathartic. But also I gave her a fun bunch of friends. I gave her a great wardrobe, yeah. brilliant job. So I also gave myself some escapism every time I wrote about her. Mm. Which some I think, fun. Some fun. And it really worked for me because I didn't, I don't think I could have done three hours, three times a week talking about how sad I was. Yes. I don't think I was ready to write that book. Well, and also too, maybe people aren't ready to read that book. Correct. You know, people it's about the audience. People quite often need to take themselves away from that sort of thing. So uh, 19 books later, do yeah. you think the reader has changed? I do, actually. Yeah, I do I too. Do. I think... We ambled a little bit more. I mean, yeah, yeah. bless you when you said sorry to interrupt. I thought, God, love her, she's going to have to. Yeah. I never stop. <laughs> um, and that's, and that's, the listeners uh, want to hear it. <laughs> I think that comes from so my early books. And even now people will quite often say, oh, she's a slow build. And I think I haven't quite caught up with how pacey everybody is now. Yes. And so my, my latest book, I remember thinking very much so, give them the dilemma in the first chapter. Just don't don't wait for it until you're a third of the way in because now readers want to know they want to, what yeah. have I got? They want to be bang in there. Jump straight in straight there. Straight in there. And I don't know if that's 
partly because, again, our social media gives us very instant hits or the TV we're watching. But I do think that's one of the things. I think there's a lot less description in books now than there was 20 years Mm. ago. I think people are... Sometimes I, I get to the end of the book and I think, oh, gosh, I didn't describe even what the hero and heroine looked like. Because... I think a lot of people take control of that themselves now. Do you know, that's, I want to talk about that, just touch on that. And I, it was one of the things that I thought about when I was reading your book. I've been listening to a lot of audio books, which mm-hmm. I quite enjoy. And I don't know if you do too. But yeah. fiction doesn't work for me on audio because the nonfiction works perfectly. Love it. Yeah. Um, but fiction, I don't want to hear the narrator's voice as I, much as... I agree. Your own voice. It, yeah, as much mm. as I am. No, not everyone feels that way because, you know, people love audio and I know a lot of our readers and listeners love audio. But for me, I'm still at the stage where I want to create them myself. So I don't really care that much what you think of them. Totally. Because yes. it's, it's actually a very intimate dialogue between you it? and the book yes. at that point. If it's working. If it's working. It's yours. Yes, because my point is it's a little bit like having a child so my my teenage child has now to the point where he's gone to university and people often ask me oh what's he doing what's this what's that who are his friends and I'm like I don't know anymore I mean I know quite a lot yeah but I don't know everything anymore because my job was to get him into the world yeah and his job now is to go out in the world and and see how he interacts and I think books are a little bit like that my job is to get it out into the world and then each person will read a slightly different book yeah. you know whether I sell we don't all read this no book. so whether I sell 200,000 books or whether I sell 10 books it will be the 200,000 different books because mm. everyone comes with their own experiences absolutely their own life stage uh, their own imagination and I think that's the that's the magic of it that's the, the joy and it's the magic of fiction isn't it, it is absolutely yeah. Adele we've got to wrap it up there you've <gasps> been an absolute delight thank oh. you so much for coming in to speak with us today my pleasure 100% I've loved being here If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audio books are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.